morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to take a break this week and next from reading about David's life together. Uh, today is uh, the day, of course, as we have uh, heard and sung and seen. It's the day where we uh, remember and celebrate that Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a king in triumph. We remember that when uh, he did that, the crowds yelled, Hosanna to the son of David. The, the people that yelled that all hope, and some of them in that crowd already believe that Jesus was David's greater son, um, come to deliver them. So the story that we're going to read uh, together this morning is what happens in Matthew's gospel right after Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So I'll read from Matthew 21, uh, verses 12 through 17 for us. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for this word um, that we have read and heard together that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. And we ask, as always, that you would be happy to use it to meet every one of us here this morning in the places where we are, exactly where we are. Meet those of us uh, who feel ready to hear from you and, and close to you. Meet those of us who feel far from you for whatever reason. Uh, Father, meet those of us who uh, have faith and those of us who don't and those of us who aren't exactly sure um, if we have faith at all or what that would even mean. Father, meet us uh, through this word and show us Jesus' grace and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, our, uh, our family lives uh, <clears throat> about three blocks from the mayor's house. In fact, uh, I drive by her house at least twice a day on the way to and from church. And so uh, what that means for us mostly is, uh, of course, an increased law enforcement presence in the neighborhood, including a detail that's always in front of her house, uh, and lots and lots of security cameras, lots of them. Um, but not infrequently, it also means groups of protesters and demonstrators and dissenters. Uh, I have to be honest and say that there's a lot more of that than what I expected there would be. I mean, I don't know what I expected, but there are a lot of those groups that make their way to her house. And some of those causes that make their way uh, to her home have clear and really obvious connections to City Hall. And some of them are kind of head scratchers. Um, but the most remarkable thing for me about these uh, frequent protests, the, most, the thing really honestly that I think about the most is that when they're happening, I'm going to have to find another way home because the street is blocked that I usually take. 
That's, that's mainly what I think about these things. It's a mild inconvenience, but I never question the protests themselves. I never question um, why they're happening. In fact, I'm, I'm glad that they do happen. I mean, and that's, of course, because we have all agreed uh, together that protests and dissent and demonstration are an important part of a healthy national life. Uh, these things aren't just tolerated in our common life. They're cherished and, and they're protected in our common life. And I mention that because uh, things could not have been more different in the ancient Near East, and in particular in first century Palestine under Roman rule. Uh, demonstration and dissent and protest were not valued. They were not protected. And in fact, more often than not, if you didn't have enough power to fend it off after you dissented, those things would get you killed. In many instances, if you stirred up dissent, the law actually required your execution. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind on this day that we call Palm Sunday. Because today's the day we remember this string of deeply symbolic acts that Jesus does that were rightly seen as protest and dissent and demonstration by the folks who held power in that day. I mean, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He follows the ancient script. The people yell out to him, Hosanna, son of David. But he rides uh, not on a war horse. He rides on a donkey. And he doesn't have a sword strapped to his side. He has no weapons at all. And when he gets there, he doesn't lead a zealot revolt against the Romans. He just looks around a little bit. And then he flips the tables in the sacred place. And then he curses a fig tree that was just minding its own business. I mean, these are not only deeply symbolic protests against the dominant order of things. They are enacted parables. And Jesus does them to tell us something important about who he is. And hopefully we have ears to hear um, because what he says is good news for people like us. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees and say to those with anxious hearts, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come to you with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So when Jesus came to Jerusalem, Matthew tells us that the whole city was stirred up. And what we need to know is that's not a surprising side effect of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that day. It was Jesus' intent. He wants things to be stirred up. He wants to cause a scene. And the very next thing that Matthew tells us about is what happens when Jesus gets to the temple. When he enters the temple, immediately he drives out all who sold and all who bought in the temple, he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. It is uh, honestly a really surprising picture, and it is a dramatic picture. This is Jesus. This is Jesus whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. This is Jesus who blessed the peacemakers and the meek. 
and he is flipping tables over with abandon. Coins are flying everywhere, pigeons are screaming, and people are mad. They're really mad. (laughs) Jesus quotes from two prophets while he's doing this. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's from Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is this uh, beautiful picture of people who had been formerly excluded, like eunuchs and foreigners and outsiders. It's a picture of them coming to the temple and being welcomed there by God himself. And you have made it a den of robbers. That comes from Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7 is this uh, fiery sermon. It's a harsh sermon from Jeremiah. He preaches it to the folks who oppress widows and sojourners and the fatherless. And he says you can't do all of that stuff and then come into the temple and act like everything's okay because that would be like treating it like a den of thieves. And church, I think paying attention to the prophets that Jesus is quoting makes it pretty clear that his flipping of tables was not about the commercialization of a religious place. I mean, if there was usury and abuse going on, then that's bad. But what Jesus is doing points to a deeper brokenness. The temple uh, was not the place of welcome that it was meant to be. It had become instead this nationalistic stronghold. And the leadership of the temple had become hopelessly entwined with corruption. And I think that what Jesus wants, even if it's just for a few pregnant moments, I think what Jesus wants is just for it all to stop. Just for a few minutes, everything that happens in that place all of the moving around, it stops. And all eyes are in this fiery young prophet. (laughs) You know, Jesus had told people earlier that something greater than the temple is here. You can read that in, in Matthew 12. And I'm sure that when Jesus said something greater than the temple is here, the people that heard him say that had no idea what he was talking about. But now, staring at him, staring at this mess that he's made, maybe they were starting to wonder exactly what it was that Jesus wanted them to wonder. Was he talking about himself? Is he greater than the temple? Is he the place where God welcomes the stranger and the foreigner and the outcast? Is he saying he's the one where God meets with us to heal us and to save us? Well, (laughs) spoiler alert, yes, (laughs) he is. And you know, the truth is that it takes a really long time, especially for those who were closest to Jesus, to figure out that that is what he was saying in that moment. It takes the resurrection before they finally understand it. And the resurrection, of course, is what they get. And we, as Christian people, we profess this to be true, you know? Like we heard in the New Testament lesson, the song of the Lamb, that's our song. We sing it. O King of the nations, all nations will come and they will worship you. 
But church, what I hope is that our profession, our confident profession of that, that it will not dampen the wonder of it. That the stirring up that Jesus intended, that the shock and the trouble he intended in his descent, that we would still feel it. That we would still feel that descent and that shock and that stirring up. And we will remain a people in constant wonder at that if we attend to him. (laughs) I mean, if we are followers of Jesus, then we are called to be a people who are constantly attending to Jesus, constantly attending to what he taught us, constantly hearing the dissent and protest in what he says. And we do this. We attend to him by reading scripture and through prayer, both Uh, together and individually. We do this. We attend to Jesus as we worship together, as we celebrate the sacraments that he gave us. We do this, church, by being with one another and encouraging one another and serving together for the life of the world just like he taught us and showed us. Church, these are habits. They are habits that give us life precisely because they are ordered around Jesus. Precisely because they are ordered around Jesus. He is the one who came to welcome and heal and forgive and remake us. And here's the truth about those habits. The truth is, these are forms of dissent. They're forms of protest for us. These habits uh, dissent against that constant pull, and it's ever-present in our culture, that constant pull to find the things that we really need by ordering our habits around other stuff. You know, our, our possessions and our jobs and our relationships and the accumulation of, you know, influence or smarts, or savvy, or the pleasure of escape. I mean, church, with with the sounds of coins spilling out everywhere, (laughs) and tables skidding across stone, and pigeons squawking, Jesus is inviting every one of us, again, to descent from finding ultimate things in any place other than him. He invites us to only find ultimate things in him. And we do that as we attend to him. He is the one who strengthens weak hands. He is the one who makes firm the feeble knees. He is the one who says to anxious hearts, be strong and don't be afraid. So what happens next is something that only uh, Matthew tells us about. He says that the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. And I know you can hear that and think, well, of course that's what happened, because that's what happens pretty much everywhere where Jesus goes, and that's for sure true. But I think that Matthew takes pains to tell us about this particular detail, because it rounds out a picture for those who have eyes to see it. Isaiah 35 was our Old Testament lesson. I've I've quoted it already twice. It's, It's a beautiful picture. And here's what it is. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like when God comes. 
You should read it later on this afternoon. In fact, I think it would be great if we all read Isaiah 35 every day this Holy Week. It is a promise. And in that promise, not only do weak hands and feeble knees and anxious hearts get strengthened, but the deserts bloom into flower. And the burning sands become pools and the ransomed of God walk through the desert like it's a highway with songs of everlasting joy hovering over their heads and sorrow and sighing flee away. And, Isaiah says, the eyes of the blind are opened and the lame, they leap like a deer. just like they did that day in the temple courts. Can you imagine this scene? (laughs) A woman who's never walked a day in her life stretches out her legs (laughs) and she walks for the first time across fallen coins. (laughs) And the sound that they make is a song of joy. I mean, can you imagine a guy who's never seen anything ever opens his eyes and the first thing that he sees is Jesus and he lets out a yell because what else are you going to do? And that yell, it's a song of deliverance. In these healings, in these healings, Jesus is enacting a protest against the fallen and broken world. In these healings, Jesus is dissenting against everything in this world that is not the way that it's supposed to be. And all of this lurches forward, all of this leans forward to the end of that week when he will take all of the brokenness, all of the sickness, all of the trouble, all of the sin onto his back to do away with it forever in his cross and resurrection. Church, that is what it looks like when God comes. And one of the ironies of this moment (laughs) is that most of the people there, they do not get it. They have no idea why he is doing these things. They can't see what he's saying about himself in, you know, as Matthew calls them, these wonderful things that he did. But there are two groups who do. The children and the religious establishment. The kids can't stop singing Hosanna to the son of David. They just won't stop singing. (laughs) And it drives the religious establishment wild. And they say to Jesus, can you hear this? Which is a really weird question because of course he can hear it, but it's a perfect lead in. Jesus says, well, yeah, I I, I can hear him. (laughs) Have you guys never read? Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have prepared praise. That's Psalm 8. That's a psalm about the glory and majesty of God and him receiving praise from children. Don't think for a minute that those guys did not get what Jesus was laying down. God has come to us, church, to forgive our sins and to heal us and to save us. He has come to us to begin the restoration of this broken world. Let's attend to him with all glory and laud and honor. Let me pray for us. 
Father, it is easy for us to lose sight of this. It's easy for us to look around uh, this world, to look around our city and see trouble and to see chaos. Here's another week that goes by and another mass shooting and violence popping up all over our city and this threat of this pandemic still looming over us. And Father, it is easy for us to lose sight of your strength and your glory and your majesty and that you have come to save us and to heal us and to restore us in this broken world. So we ask, Father, that you would help us to be um, like those children who see and who understand and who can't quit singing. Help us to, to be the people who recognize Jesus and, and order all of the habits of our life around him. Do this so that we could grow up into being children. <laughs> and do this so that through us you can love the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.